You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. And the one ask that I have for you today is that as you prepare to focus with all your heart and all of your mind on this sermon, that you would not only do that in between the lines of this next hour and a half, but that you would do something amazing. And that's to cross over that line into all of the week to come, and that that word would keep kind of circulating in your heart. You see, God God does something miraculous, and he gives this thing called the Word, and it breathes out life, and it infuses you with Christ's power to be a spirit-filled person. But part of activating that practically is to carry it out in your week in all of your activities. And so as you learn, you amazing student learner this morning, everything that God has for you, would you do something for me? Would you put God to the test biblically by activating in your life every single day in between the lines of Sunday and watch Christ show up for you? Let's get ready to do this sermon thing. Let's go. Oh yeah, it's Bible time. Let's get ready to grind. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to jump in that text in just a little bit. As we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story, I want to keep reminding you that we are here to discover who God is and what that means for our lives. And let me tell you, we've been doing that for about 30 parts so far, and it's been legit. Now, here remains our faithful aim for this series as pastors and as covenant members and as a community of faith in God. And here's our hope if this is your first time leaning in. If you've read the Bible your whole life and you feel like you are a Christian that's deepening out and maturing out every day in light of eternity, or you are just kind of wandering and seeking and figuring out this whole Christian thing for the first time, we believe if you open your heart and you soften your mind to really examine the things we're talking about, that the Holy Spirit, who we who we call God, is going to speak to you at the heart and confirm that what we're saying is real and that, man, it can get legit for your life. Now, last week in part 30, titled Spirit-Filled Marriages and Biblical Foundations, we learned that marriage was not created primarily for our romantic enjoyment or our personal endeavors, but rather that marriage is really about a partnership with God as ambassadors for God with the missional focus of spreading the gospel across the whole world for ourselves and others, and we do it for the glory of God. We learn that our enjoyment in marriage is to be found in that in that aim, right? In that mission, that's the joy. But that along that journey, he gives us so many things for us to do in our marriages that is super profitable. We learn that wives are called to submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. And that as to the Lord clause, remember that, sisters? We, we said that's so important not to forget. We learned that, therefore, wives are called to use their free voice and their free will and their individual mind. And they take that, and then they 
submitted under the authority of their husband who sets a trajectory for their life and their family's life and that things when they do it that way god god blesses those efforts ladies we learn that wives are to remember that every bit of your glad and submissive submissive and genuine um submission to your husband you do that with god in the picture and with jesus as the target, and that when you do that, there's an enjoyment that the Holy Spirit places in your heart, and you have to believe that by faith. We learn that husbands are also called to be the head of the wife and the family, just like Christ is the head of the church, and that this is a non-negotiable. This is a this is a God design and not about a desire, right? So, men, we have no vote here. We talked about that. God designed it that way, and we are humbly submitting into that. We learn that this call that husbands have is really to be responsive and compassionate and sensitive men of God to our wives, to our wife and our children. And that when we do it from that way, we represent King Jesus so well, who's the ruling and the reigning primary head over all of our households. We learned that the institution of marriage was designed to work well when the husband and the wife partner together with radical support for one another, with care and nourishment and affections, but that when all of that happens, it's not supposed to terminate just on them in the marriage or the family, that there's something bigger and larger going on. We're going to talk about that today. We learned that the institution of marriage is not only about one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship, but it's about taking that relationship and then submitting it into a covenant community around other covenant relationships. We call that the church, and they provide accountability, protection, and um, ultimately community. So we're not left on our own little island, always doing our own little thing. And then we never read about the singles and the widows. We learned that singles and widows, man, you're not second-class citizens, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that marriage is not the whole center epicenter of our life and our existence. And so singles and widows, man, we are to look and say, what does God have for me as I'm walking this journey of singlehood? And that we learned that instead, the single and the widow have a beautiful opportunity, radical opportunity, to focus on God and to not be divided with all the resources that are required within a marriage relationship. And that brings us to today, RCC, to part 31 of our Ephesians series titled Marriage, Family, Life in Light, of eternity. Or in other words, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to have marriage in light of eternity or family in light of eternity or to live a life in light of eternity? It means being in a marriage or, or operating in a family or leading a family or living a life that is intentionalizing their efforts towards the purposes of kingdom work that God has set before you for the good of others and the glory of God. That's what it means to do something in light of eternity, is to aim your affections and your activity at the kingdom of God. And you do that with your eyes set towards heaven when we go back to 
the Father. Listen, we have a lot to discuss today, so let's get into the Word of God right now because we have so many things to discuss. Now, don't wait for me to do an opening prayer to think that the sermon's starting. The sermon has already started. Uh, there's not going to be perfect intros and, and a body and a conclusion to this sermon, but I'm here to preach Christ and to explain how Christ gets all in the middle of our marriage and families. And so open your hearts, open your minds, let's do this, let's lock in, and let's jump into the Word of God now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, verse 28. In the same way, in that same way we just read, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, here comes our focus verse. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, here's the question. But why? What is Paul communicating? What is he getting at in the text when he walks us through verse 22 all the way to verse 32? And then he kind of puts a bow tie on it saying, hey, however, in summary, hey, wives do this and husbands do this. What is the big why? And that's what today's going to be all about. Okay, let me be honest. When you're not focusing on the good of others and the glory of God, that's a strong indication, a very strong one, that you have ventured outside of the spirit-filled living zone practically. Just consider Jesus. He's our great example, isn't he? He's our great example and our senior pastor. Yet he came not seeking for his own will. But whose? The Father's will. He came not to be served, but to serve others and to give himself up as a ransom for many. That's what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And so Jesus proceeds forward and he's like, okay, it's your turn now, Brandon. Put your name in there. It's your turn, your turn now, whoever your name is. Yes, and you're going to need some help. So I'm going to download the full measure of the Holy Spirit's power on you because he's given you and me power to do that which we cannot do and that which we don't want to do so that we can then lean in to imitating him all the more in our lives and praise Christ for that because now you and I we can do it are you with me family we can do it and we can do it joyfully thankfully and with rejoicing in our hearts 
because of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Yet, we're not perfect, right? And because we're not perfect, sometimes we do take our eyes off of Jesus. We all, we all have that those moments in our lives. We start leaking all over the place sometimes when adversities and tragedies strike. It's just a reality of life, folks. And sometimes we start leaking all over the place when things don't go the way we want them to or when we don't feel we get the things that we ultimately deserve. But you and I, we can get so radically back on track with Jesus anytime as long as we're following that one, two, three step that I've been lifting up for the last four or five sermons. Do you remember what that is? You see, we can get back on track with Jesus no matter what tragedy or adversity or trial that comes. When we tap out, look up and link in. When we tap out and say, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. And then we look up and say, but God, I know that in you I can. And we link in and we start to do what he says and we start to follow Jesus and imitate Jesus. Things, things get back on track. And the power source of how we're able to do all those things is by going back to the spout where the blessings pour out. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and we talked about that, those seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. And so here we are now arriving in the text that we just read, and it's all about marriage. And God's like, I'm going to show the whole world what heaven looks like, and I'm going to redeem the entire world, and I'm going to reconcile all things back to the Father. And the way I'm going to check this out and God said this is what God's saying and the way I'm going to do that is by invading homes with my spirit and living within the homes by my spirit so that heaven can come on earth that's do you get that that's amazing this whole heaven on earth invasion story that God's talking about comes through us folks the people of God. And maybe you're like Pastor Brandon. You haven't been to my house because if you have, you would know that heaven for sure hasn't come into my home. Have you seen my spouse and my kids? Okay, but folks, that's the whole point. That's the tension. God's saying it's to me and he's saying to you, hey, I really want to do this for you. You can't do it on your own, but if you allow yourself to be spirit-filled practically, if you focus on me with all your heart, mind, and soul, Heaven will indeed touch your home, and we can start this invasion process across the whole world. So God's saying, man, I want to bring home, um, excuse me, I want to bring heaven into your home so that you can bring heaven into the whole world, but the only way that's going to be possible is if you allow heaven to come into each and every one of you as individuals. Oh, man, that's legit. God is saying, I want to bring heaven to your home so that heaven can then come out into the world. And the only way that process can start is by heaven reaching your heart as an individual. And folks, for that to happen, it requires each of us as individual sons and daughters of Christ submitting to the rules and the roles and the responsibilities that God has set in place and seeing them as a good and right and true thing. The Bible says that we are literally God's hands and feet and lips and legs and body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. We are his martero. We are martyrs. We are the witnesses to the whole world, right? We've been talking about that. 
that. And I don't know about you, but don't you think it would have been so much easier for him to hire some angels up in heaven to do this job? I mean, when I read about angels, I think they're more powerful and more consistent and more like Christ and more heavenly. But that's not how Jesus saw it, not from, not from God's value system and economy of thinking. So instead, God says, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate my power and my magnificence, and I'm going to do this great kingdom work and of reconciling all things through broken and messy people. Wow, are you tracking with me? So God says, I'm going to use some people that don't deserve to be used. And I'm going to use some people who are basically resolving to humbly submit their whole lives to me. And I'm going to use people that let me overwhelm them. Man, that's a powerful word. That let me overwhelm them with love and truth and ultimately with the Holy Spirit so they can be witnesses to the whole to the whole world. But how often do we sit back in our arrogance and our fears and our demands asking God for signs all the time, right? We're always asking for some signs. This happens in our marriages when we think, where are you at, God? My marriage is struggling. Where are you at, God? My family's struggling. Where are you at in this tragedy? And so we ask for signs. We sit there and we say things like, you know what, God? If you would have just sent me that shooting star the other night when I was going through that trial, I would have known that you're with me and I would have believed more. <laughs> have you ever done that before? We've all, we've all been there asking God for some type of a sign. And God in heaven, he responds according to scripture. He's like, oh, Okay, right, right, right. So you're telling me you need another shooting star to, so that your faith would be made complete? Well, what about the one trillion stars that I've already suspended all over the galaxy? Like, haven't I already shown myself in the wonder of all the universe? So why would one more shooting star be the thing that makes your belief all of a, all of a sudden become secure or concrete. And then, of course, that shooting star doesn't come, does it, my brother and sister? No, it doesn't. And that special mystical sign doesn't arrive across your phone, and that bird doesn't fly across the sun right when you look up in the sky and you demand God to show you a sign. And so then all of a sudden we're questioning God's power and his faithfulness. But instead, God says, you know what? Instead of asking for a shooting star, Brandon, instead of asking for a shooting star, whatever your name is, hey, how about you just put your focus on getting to know me? How about you open my book and read my book, which contains all my thoughts? Because my plan to to for you to know me and for you to be in relationship with me and to know my thoughts so that you could be radically secure is actually in this book. You just got to open it. Like, can't you see, folks? It's, it's our lives. Us. We are. We are the hope of the world. We are the great miracle that we're always asking for. We are the shooting star. We are the signs of God for the world to say, wow, God is real. We are to be that miracle to the planet. We have to remember that, and we can't forget that. And when people see us living spirit-filled lives with spirit-filled marriages, with spirit-filled families, doing spirit-filled activities, that's what makes them shake their head with wonder and amazement, and they go, man, I want what they have. We are the shooting star. So we have to resolve that this fact that we want to be filled up with the things of God by always having signs and mystical things and shooting stars. And we have to say, man, God has called me to be that to the whole world. We have to decide where our ultimate allegiance really is. Is it heaven 
or is it earth? Is it sin or is it holiness and righteousness? Is it going to be selfishness and selfish tendencies or are we going to operate with a level of selflessness like, like Christ did? And God in his wisdom is saying, well, one of my primary vehicles to accomplish my mission on this planet is going to come through the institution of marriage. I'm going to create the institution of marriage to display my gospel-centered work to the whole world. That's awesome. So in verse 22, God gives the wife a very clear directive. We talked about that last week. We just read it this week. And it was, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. And then he gives a clear directive to the husband in verse 25. And he says, hey, husband, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he summarizes everything with our focus verse today, verse 33, with the proclamation of harmony saying, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then he proceeds forward, check this out, into chapter one, the first four verses about family life. And this is what he says. It's on your screen right now. Here it is. Chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. What a promise to all of us as children. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Man, that's good. Okay, so Paul, leaning on the inspiration of God, is giving direction and instruction and exhortation of how we're supposed to do life practically as spirit-filled people regarding marriage and parenting. But folks, here is where we have to go back to what Jesus said, both in the Gospel of John and in Acts chapter 1, regarding the why to everything that we're doing from the Spirit-filled life. That's so important. It's not just living in marriage. It's not just living with our families, but it's doing it from a Spirit-filled place. But in order for us to do it from a Spirit-filled place, we have to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And if we're going to understand who the Holy Spirit is, we have to understand what our part is is in it when he equips us with the power, if we're going to understand rightly marriage and family. So let's review that again. Here we go. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 13. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That is so critical. But here's what Jesus says. He continues on. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Oh, that's so important. That's why the Holy Spirit's coming, folks. That's why he came. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, the holiness, purity, all these important heavenly things, the light, the fruit, because I go to the Father and you will, and you will see me no longer. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us holy and in the light. And we don't have Jesus walking around in the flesh doing that imitation anymore. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
I still have many things to say to you. I love that. Jesus is always talking to us. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Oh, that's so important. Okay, so what, what's the Holy Spirit's purpose? Here it is. You're filling the blank. Therefore, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, so that's the Holy Spirit's purpose. You tracking with me? And now that he is in us, what's our part in it? What's our part in this whole thing? Let, let, let's take a look at that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all the way to Beaverton, Hillsboro, Oregon. Okay, so, so, so what's our part in it? Therefore, we are empowered practically to exercise the roles and positions in life to be witnesses, folks, to be sacrificial, dying daily witnesses in our homes, cities, and around the world. That's so important. The Holy Spirit came to do those three things so that we would be empowered to be ambassadors and witnesses around the whole world. What does that mean for our families and our marriages? It's the conduit for all those things to happen. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. This means that our spirit-filled marriages and our spirit-filled families are not supposed to terminate on themselves. That They're not supposed to happen. Pay attention. I'm trying to have a really difficult conversation with you this morning. Taking the institution of marriage and lowering, lowering its purpose to mere enjoyment and pleasure-seeking narratives in and of itself that terminate only and disproportionately on you and your spouse and your family only is a huge problem in today's families, particularly in Christian families, folks. It's a huge problem. You see, marriage is not primarily for your enjoyment in and of itself. There's a greater purpose at stake. But in God's love, he allowed that purpose to embody incredible enjoyment and, and joy and happiness for you to experience. But it's interconnected to that great purpose. And your children were not primarily created for your enjoyment and pleasure and parental pride in and of itself. Yes, I said that. That's not why your kids are here. There's a greater purpose at stake. But in God's love to you as a parent, he allowed that purpose to embody great joy. It's, a, it's, it's an incredible joy to be a parent. We're supposed to be happy and experience all these memories with our children, but it's connected or interconnected to a greater purpose that's at stake. Listen, our family units were not created primarily for our enjoyment and our pleasure and our isolating it's us against the world mentalities no there's a greater purpose at stake but in god's love he allowed that purpose to embody great joy i love aiden and aubrey and jillian 
Are you with me? I get to spend time with them. I get to watch them grow and conquer new things as they grow older and older. It's a great joy. But all that joy is interconnected to a greater purpose that is at stake. Okay, let me be clear. Jesus offered us the Holy Spirit to give you and me great power, meaning we are to be spirit-filled, meaning God has equipped us, meaning God has blessed us with many, many gifts, meaning God gave marriage, God gave families, and God gave children. And folks, he, he gave it all with power so that we would be witnesses out of those different roles and responsibilities to the whole world as ambassadors and agents of reconciliation and redemption. Are you getting this? Therefore, marriage was, was given so that we would all herald the gospel and depict Christ's love, loving relationship to all the people of God. And we call the people of God gather together the church. Get it? Ephesians 5, Christ did it for the church, his bride. Man, children were given to you so that you would disciple them to get in the game towards that reality. Come on. Fathers and mothers, you got to get in the game. Family units are a powerful army. That's what it is. It's a powerful army to display the gospel image. Man, and we are to take our marriages and our children, which represent our families, and we're to partner together with other families in the context of a covenant community. And that covenant community is called the church. And that church is to be the arms and the hands and the feet, lips, body of Christ to reconcile all things. Oh, we're going to go deeper. This is why Paul proclaimed in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, here we go, that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? Like, can't you see? This is not, this is not Jesus' home. This is what he was saying all the time when he was walking. And then he said, I'm going back home. Therefore, this is not our home. Folks, listen, I, I love you. I want you to hear what I'm saying. This planet, this earth, these narratives are temporary. They are not our final resting place. Stop trying to create permanent roots in this world and with your family and in all your narratives. We're aiming towards eternity. You got to remember that. This is why Jesus constantly pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled his disciples to not wrap all their lives in and of the temporary. Look at the Gospels. Read that. He constantly was pushing and pulling them to not see their earthly homes and circumstances and funerals and families. Yes, funerals and families as ultimate conclusionary realities of life. I'm going to say it again. Our homes and our circumstances and our funerals and our families are not to be ultimate conclusionary realities of life. In fact, let's take a look at some examples of the eternal mindset of Christ and God that permeates scripture. There's thousands of them, but we're going to look about we're going to look at six of them right now. Let's look at some examples of the eternal of the eternal mindset. It's, it's legit. Matthew 12 
uh, verse 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see the eternal mindset that Jesus is laying out right here in the text? He's, he's, he's calling those who are in Christ, those who are spirit-filled, the ultimate family. That is where Jesus' ultimate allegiance is at, not even with his biological family. Let's go. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. It says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This is another example of the eternal mindset. Hey, hey, it's not what we have here on earth. He's saying get rid of all those things because we have a greater treasure in store and he's recalibrating our focus. Christ has a different value system than us, folks, and we are to be spirit-filled moving over to this eternal mindset. Let's, let's keep track in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does, now, do, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Oh man, he's doing it again. He's saying, hey, where we're headed, this narrow road on the way to eternity, it, it re requires you to sacrifice all things, not in a sense that you can't use and enjoy the things and the pleasures of this world, but that they cannot supersede the things of eternity. That anything here on earth, including relationships, cannot be valued above God, the kingdom, and eternity. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Remember, Gentiles are just those who are not in Christ, those who are foreign to the things of God. Okay, let's keep going. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Oh, here it is, verse 33. But seek first. Not second, not third, not fourth, not afterthought, not only on Sundays, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Are you seeing the eternal realities, folks? Okay, we got two more. Luke chapter 12, verses 33 through 36. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Here we go, right, 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come. He's saying, hey, come home. Hey, he's saying, hey, don't get stuck and caught waiting as if this is your permanent home. We are to be awaiting the return of our master, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to take us to our final home. Therefore, it changes everything about how we live here. We, we give up the things of this world, knowing it's temporary, to do good, preparing for the ultimate time where we receive an eternity from our Heavenly Father. Man, this is all going to collide back with marriage. Let's keep tracking. Last one, Luke 9, verse 59 through 62. Jesus said, follow me. But he said, 
Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This is what this is one one of the disciples, one of the followers are saying this. Hey, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him in verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Are you kidding me? Don't let this text pass you by. This is like someone walking with Jesus in 2021 saying, I'm going to come with you, but I just got to go to the funeral down in Portland first. And then Jesus says, hey, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61 says, yet another one of the followers who were with Jesus says, hey, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Translation, 2021, hey, hey, God, I'm with you. I'm not going to be like that guy worrying about the dead people, but I do want to care about the living people, so I'm going to follow you in just a moment, God, but I'm going to go home. I want to tell my wife and my kids what's going on, and I want to spend some time with them. And Jesus said to that guy in verse 62, no one who put Puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? This is what he's laying out. He's showing us examples here in the text of the eternal mindset. Okay, so when the disciples had moments where they wanted to make sure everything was perfectly set in their in their houses, Jesus would rebuke them saying, hey, don't, don't worry about how perfectly your house has been kept. Don't do that. Your house is not the point, my disciples. Like, can't you see this is not our home? Therefore, the rules and the responsibilities and the positions, yes, and even our marriages and even our families, he gives us them so they will be activated and enjoyed in light of eternity. Oh man, therefore, it's not about me trying to be fancy in this sermon, creating a new conversation about what marriage is. I'm not trying to be fancy. It's about me reminding you, or for a lot of us, awakening you to God's unchanging intention that marriage was always created with God in the picture, aimed at eternal realities, not earthly endeavors. But when we get caught up and trapped up and tripped up in so many secular narratives to the point where we don't look like Jesus and we don't talk like Jesus, like the things we just talked. Did you see the way Jesus was talking? When we don't look like Jesus and we don't operate like Jesus and we don't act like Jesus, how do we expect the world to recognize him within our lives? I'm serious. How are they going to recognize him? And if we put our money and our resources and our time and our affections and we wrap them around our families and our home developments and our vacation plans and our children's sports, just like the world does, and we don't do those things in a different way, how can we expect the world to recognize that Jesus is living within us? And don't get me wrong. All these categories, folks, are good and right and true gifts from God, and we are to enjoy them, but not disproportionately. Are you tracking? Not disproportionately. Our homes are not the point. Our dogs and our cats and our animals and reptiles, they're not the point. Our 401ks are not the point. Our kids' sports are are not the point. Our vacations are not the point. Our recreational activities and hobbies are not the point. Protecting our personal space because we always just want to be with our own family and no one can come over our house because we want everything to be so safe is not the point. Our marriages and families terminating on themselves just for our personal pleasure and benefit 
folks, it's not the point. Like, what in the world do you think we're here for? Seriously, why do you think we're here? Because God has made it clear, crystal clear. He came to save the world. Luke chapter 19, 10, look it up. Okay, so how should we then, in light of these truths, operate in our marriages in light of eternity? Let's take a look at that. We are called to enjoy marriage by keeping the foundation of its purpose aimed at eternity with Jesus. We are to remember that marriage is a depiction of Christ's loving relationship with the church. Therefore, the married couple, uh, excuse me, therefore the married couple are not primarily called to seek their personal pleasures and self-centered desires, but rather the married couple is primarily called to be spirit-filled with transformed pleasures and desires that sacrificially hand control back to God in such a manner that they can be glad instruments of gospel reconciliation for the world around. Man, that's good. Did you know that the institution of marriage between a man and a woman does not even exist in eternity? Uh-oh. You know what I said? I'm going to say it again. The institution between a man and a woman, we call it marriage, does not exist in eternity. There's no marriage. There's no husbands. There's no wives. Just children of God in glad Harmony with our Creator forever in perfect harmony and peace. No husbands, no wives, no children that belong to us, just all of us horizontally as children of God in glad harmony with the Creator forever, having joy and peace abundantly. And this is so important because we need to understand that the emphasis of how we often think, even as Christian families, about our marriages and biological earthly families is a very temporary picture to God. And we got to think like God. It's a very temporary picture to God. He did not create these structures that we often lift up as most important to us, as eternal and as most important. They were temporary. These are temporary structures that are wrapped with a great purpose. But are we living it out? Now, that doesn't mean our marriages are not valuable and critical before God. I'm not belittling marriage. It's a very important institution. But it does mean we need to have Christ-centered perspective, folks. Our marriages and our families, are, as they're presently constructed, are not the end-all, be-all, according to Scripture. Pay attention. Jesus came to save his people from their sin by his life and his death and his resurrection, right? That's the basic gospel story. Are we in agreement so far? Yes? Okay. Okay, so his great purpose was to restore sinners to God so that they may have eternal life forever with the Father. Are you still in agreement so far, right? Basic gospel, right? Okay. Okay, so the only reason why the earth keeps spinning, folks, is because of that reality. The earth is not spinning so you can enjoy your family in and of itself. Your, the earth doesn't keep spinning. God's not keeping it going just so that you can spend time with your children and enjoy them in and of itself. Listen, the earth continues to spin because God keeps it spinning because he is operating under the period of patience because of what Jesus did 
through the Holy Spirit towards reconciling people out of darkness, out of their sin, into a right relationship where they can go back to the Father forever. That's why the earth is spinning, and that's why you're breathing. Man, so newsflash, Jesus is with God now. I don't know if you know that. Jesus is with God the Father now. He, he left folks about 2,000 years ago. He's not walking around anymore. He's not here. He's on the right side of the Father. He, uh, and, and guess what he did? Even though he left a long time ago, he called you and he called me to be his hands and his feet to accomplish this great purpose. We are carrying the torch and bearing this flag saying Jesus has come to save. Oh man, that's legit. So that people can know they have an opportunity to have eternity with God forever. Therefore, my life and your life and our family's life is to be a pointer to the Redeemer. Wow, your marriage is a vehicle to point people to the Redeemer. Your kids are an opportunity for you to raise up the next generation that confidently points people to the Redeemer. That's, that's the point. That's the main point. Because Jesus, I want to say it again, he's no longer here in that way, folks. Do you get that? He did his work and he proclaimed in scripture that it's finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. And we are next in line to keep it going. We are keeping it going until he returns. And everything he gives us, every good gift he gives us is aimed towards doing that, towards that eternal goal. Do you understand that? Every good gift, the blessings, the security, the stability, the marriages, all of it is so that we will be strong and victorious as we last through this temporary world under the period of patience of the God of the universe to make it or to walk our sanctification towards eternity and to bring as many people with us as we can. Wow. So why on earth would we think that marriage would be any different? Why do we think marriage is any different? Check this out again in Acts chapter 1. Let's go a little bit deeper and a little bit further. Verses 8 through 11. Here it is on your screen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all the way to Beaverton, Hillsboro, Portland, this area, right? But now let's keep going, verse 9. And when he said these things, oh man, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him. This is when he left. He's not here anymore. And a cloud took him up out of their sight. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Oh man, that is legit. We've been given power. It's not our own. It belongs to the Holy Spirit, but we get to activate this power to pick up where Jesus left off. We get to keep it going. Folks, our life is to be a ministry, not a mystery to the world. We got to be out there doing the work. It's a serious problem when the world can't see a difference between us and them and how we live and act and date and play and, and operate in our marriages and families. There should be a marked other world like 
difference in what we focus on with our marriages and our families compared to the world. We're supposed to be the ministry of Jesus, not a confusing, hypocritical mystery to the world. That's not what it's supposed to be. But that requires us not always doing our own little deal, always trying to operate being our own little boss, living superficially and and selfishly for ourselves. Jesus is being real when he says to open our homes to the desolate and the prostitutes and the widow. He's being real about that. We have to risk our comfort to reach our city. And that's not a slogan. That's a biblical command. Jesus is being real, radically real when he says, you got to forgive all people or your heavenly father will not forgive you. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. You have to risk your comfort and your pain and the opportunity that you may get hurt again because God's called you to and he's done it for you. Folks, Jesus is being real when he says, parents, you are to raise your children onto Disney Channel? No. Onto the university standards? No. Onto the Lord. Onto the Lord. They're not to be objects of idolatry and disproportionate affections. You have to risk your comfort of protecting your children so much that you get in the way of shaping and molding them into the dangerous world that God has called you to release them into because they are to be the army to help reconcile all things. And you can't do that, Christian parent, if you want to keep them so incubated and so perfect because you don't want the world to touch them we are called to have our children touch the world and that means you got to prepare them and risk them in this dangerous world oh man jesus is being real about these things family of god and i love 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 verse 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1 that we just talked about i'm going to put it back on the screen now because it's legit look at it as i exhort okay so basically the two men standing there are telling the people then and therefore us today stop being paralyzed looking and gazing and gawking at Jesus, doing all the work, stop drooling and looking up at a, in amazement as if you don't have the power. Don't do that. It's like they were saying, don't let Jesus return, finding you still standing on this mountaintop, looking and waiting and gawking at the clouds for Jesus' return, having done nothing. Folks, we have to leave the mountain of our comfort and do what Jesus did because he leveraged his entire life and he most definitely leveraged his relationships for the sake of the gospel. Yes, he did because Jesus will return. We know that he's going to return, but we don't want to find him. We don't want him to find us still standing at the mountain of our comfort, having done nothing after he's modeled so perfectly how to do this great work. So are you understanding this sermon yet today? I hope you are. Here it is. It's a herald from me to you (laughs) that we can't stand and be caught gazing and looking and gawking around in our lives, reading Bible stories and drawing Bible characters 
only living, though, for our own marriages and our own children doing our own little deal. Always focused on only earthly goals. Focused on getting good college educations and buying really nice homes and vacationing and retiring and and all these things. We can't get caught gazing, allowing our kids to become our idols and the sole object of our affections. This sermon is about you recognizing that you can't get caught gazing, putting your full and final hope in your spouse or in your marriage. We can't get caught. We cannot get caught gazing. Um, getting stuck in our shame and in our misery and in our hardships. We can't get caught gazing and operating in self-centered desires when each and every one of us are literally called to be missionaries, which by definition means to be great givers of our time and our resources and our families. Okay, now listen, you don't have to be married to be a legit ambassador For God, singles and widows, I promised I wasn't going to forget about you. And you are not a second-class citizen in this story. We talked about that last week. Paul even makes the argument that if he had it his way, all of us, you, me, all the people of God, we would all be single. Did you know that he says that in the text? He said, if I had it my way, every single believer would be single. Why did he say that? Because he wanted us to focus on Jesus everywhere, all the time, making our time unadulterated in our cross-bearing focuses. You can go look at that in 1 Corinthians. Because even though marriage is an extremely powerful institution that is unmatched on earth to do gospel work. It's unmatched. It is. It is. But here it is. The reality is we often fall terribly, categorically short of the unmatched, powerful, God-designed position of marriage because we get stuck in the muck and the mire of our relationships in our marriages. And Paul knew it. He knew it. We get stuck fighting and bickering and arguing and and demanding in our marriages. And Paul knew it. And he said, man, I wish we'd be single so we could focus on the kingdom and not on all all this drama. So again, I say to the single and the widow, seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. And if marriage is the next step for you, Lean in. I want you to use this sermon as a wise guide for you to make the right biblical steps and aim for a partner who can aim with you and track with you in marriage towards a kingdom marriage and a kingdom life towards eternal realities. And if marriage is not your next step, have radical biblical confidence that there are one trillion things that you can wring your life out for that will leave you completely and utterly and totally satisfied with God and your life and the world around you. Yes, he can do that when you are spirit, when you're spirit filled. And for all the married couples that are already married, hey, listen, it's time to roll up our sleeves now. We got to roll up our sleeves. We got to put our safety helmets on. No squirming and no squealing. It's time to redeem this institution of the marriage that you're in. God's plan above our own, right? God's plan above our own because he promises us great happiness and great joy in our marriages when we do it his way when we do it his way. So let's pray right now that we would continue in that aim, that we would continue doing it his way. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we are here and we desire most of all that you would be glorified and the people around us would be ministered to. This is the whole point of our life, God. Help us to not be forgetful creatures regarding that reality. You've asked us to be your hands and your feet to minister and witness to your people across the whole world. This is the whole point of our life, God. Help us to not be forgetful creatures about that reality. We are to be the literal demonstration of heaven on earth invading darkness with great light but that's impossible god if we are caught living secular lives with secular focuses all the time therefore help us holy spirit not to be forgetful creatures about the point of our lives and lord there are some sitting here today waiting for other people to do this gospel work they are content attending church and offering their money and going home with the sole focus on themselves and their own families and there are some here today feeling so satisfied that they attend church and they offer their money and they volunteer and they serve you know, a couple of different ministries inside their church. But Lord, they have no real desire. They have no confidence or intentions of activating a huge component of their life call, which is to reach those who are radically far, lost, broken, ugly, smelly, nasty, and promiscuous. They don't even want to touch them. Man, God, they want to serve in youth groups, but they don't want to touch the prostitute. They want to help the senior citizen inside their church, but they don't want to interact with the homeless man. They want it to be in a box. They want it to be squeaky clean. They want squeaky clean programs for their children, but they don't want their children exposed to the ex-convict that is trying to redeem her life in the church. And they move their children away saying, get away. And yet others are sitting here ignoring your principles altogether, not wanting anything to do with your kingdom. And yet even others are sitting here today desperately needing your Holy Spirit to activate within areas that we simply are struggling to tap into. And there are still yet others who are here because they just don't want to go to hell. And they just want to get into heaven. So their whole relationship is based on that fear. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, we're submitting all this to you this morning. All of it. I can't bear it all as a pastor. I can't bear it in this body, but you can, God. And I'm praying for myself right now that you would use me so radically on this Sunday to minister to your people with all my heart and soul in a manner which accords with your word. And we all collectively need to look to you, Holy Spirit, so that your word wouldn't return void, but instead would accomplish all that you've sent it out to do. And may we leave here different today oh god will we be different every man every woman every child may we all be different because of you it's because of your beautiful name that we pray and march forward in this sermon amen okay so we talked about husbands and wives and roles within the confines of a biblical marriage lived in light of eternity, meaning the married couple that intentionalizes their lives for the purposes of God, uh, that God has set before them for the good of others and the glory of God. We've talked about that. So in light of that reality, here's, here's my important question. Is your marriage, man, this is important, 
Is your marriage and subsequent family genuinely activated towards a life lived for Christ? Are you really concerned with others' good and Christ's glory from a kingdom perspective? Or are you primarily concerned with your family's good and glory above all things? Okay, now, before you too quickly start beating yourself up, or if you're on the other side, you too too quickly you start basking in all your premature victory, I want to tell you a quick story about my time at Camp Jericho when I was the director and founder of this camp in South Lake Tahoe, California. You see, I was using my friend's truck at this camp, and I was trying to move um, our food inventory from one location to the other, and the truck got stuck in a pretty nasty area that was super muddy. And so I'm sitting there trying to get out of this mud and I'm putting my foot on the gas pedal and all I'm getting is and nothing folks. I'm not getting any movement at all. So I'm sitting here and I'm doing this for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then this group of ladies walks by and this is embarrassing. And they walk by and they kind of look at me and they look at the truck. They look at me and they look at the truck and they go, excuse me, sir, your truck says it's a four by four. It's a four wheel drive. You may want to activate your four wheel drive. Yes, folks, this is the moment where we realize Pastor Brandon doesn't know much about four-wheel drive. And so uh, I'm like, okay, and I'm looking around, around the seat, and then sure enough, under my friend's hat, I kind of toss it out the way, and I see a lever, and it says four by four. And sure enough, there it was. And so I pulled that lever up, and guess what happened? As soon as I hit the gas, I didn't just make it out of the mud, but I soared out of the mud with great power. And not only did I make it out of the mud in this situation, there was a thrill and a joy that I had never experienced before in that truck. And I never felt that kind of power. It was awesome. And it was like, man, I can move so easily now, even through this difficult terrain. And folks, that's what happens when we receive power from the Holy Spirit and we activate it. That's the key. When we activate it practically, Folks, lean in. That truck always had the ability. It always had great power. I just wasn't focused on the right thing, which was pulling the lever and activating its power. And I keep telling you, the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian is so radically filled positionally with the Holy Spirit. It's about learning how to focus on the Holy Spirit as your righteous lever so that you can then activate Him in your life so you can move effectively through the difficult terrain of life and hardships, but you can do it and you can do it well. Man, but oftentimes we spend so much time in our relationship with God. Let's just be honest. Truth, listen to family talk right here. So often we spend so much time uh, in our relationship with God trying to do the right thing and trying to follow all the right commands because we just don't want to go to hell. And we're just trying to get into heaven. Some of us are like, man, I just want to get into heaven. And, but we approach our marriages the same way. And we go to church and we hear all these commands. But I want you to know, you're so secure. You're so strong. And you're so stable in this promise of eternity in God. Christ has done that work for you. It's so final. You're not on trial. And that's so important because this changes the power source of how you work on your marriage. This is this is critical. It's going to change how you work on your marriage and it's going to help you to move away from your own strength to God's strength. You got to move out of your own effort 
And you've got to lean upon Christ's effort. Therefore, when I posed the question just a few moments ago, is your marriage and subsequently your family genuinely reserved and lived in light of eternity? It wasn't asked to you so that I would destabilize you and make you feel like your eternal standing is now on trial. That's not what I'm doing. It's not to say that your marriage and your family isn't good enough. That's not my heart today. But it's to reorientate you to a whole different category that I believe, based upon the text, that God wants you to be aware of. You see, the truck, that truck I was driving, my friends, it was always secure. And my, my situation at that camp, even though it looked dire and I was concerned I wouldn't make it back, it was actually never in question. I simply was stuck in one spot and I wasn't able to move to the next destination. And even more, I could not move around with joy and, and instead I was filled with anxiety because the adversity was more powerful than my ability. So I was stuck in that moment. But when I received power, or better yet, you ready? or when I learned to activate the power that was already there in the truck of that four-wheel drive, I was able to move freely and enjoy the ride of the truck even though the terrain was difficult. Like, do you see, folks, this whole Christian life thing, these marriage commands towards eternity, it's not supposed to be a burden. It's not for your bad. It's for your good. It's for your benefit. But when we hear God's commands and then we do God's commands and we hear preaching that challenges us like I'm challenging you today and it feels like a weight and it feels like a burden and it feels overwhelming and daunting, it's because we're hearing it from the vantage point of our own power and efforts and not the Holy Spirit's. Of course this sermon's overwhelming if you're thinking, how am I? I going to do all this. But this sermon is about saying, how do I do this in Christ? Oh man, for some of us, we really have done the work of trying really hard to work on our marriages. We're exhausted, right? We've worked so hard. We got people listening to this sermon in multiple states and out of this country. Yes, we do. We have people out of the country leaning into the Ephesians series. And I know you've worked so hard on your marriage. And that's, and that's a good thing. I'm so glad that you've put forth your effort into your marriage. That's, that's a win. But this portion of what Paul is preaching is for you, you, my brother or sister, who's tired of doing it all on your own strength. It's an exhortation and a call to rest. Oh man, it's a call to rest and to move away from the standard of your own efforts to the Holy Spirit's power. In other words, it's not just about you being a better person in your marriage. Stop listening to sermons and then walking away saying, how do I be a better person? No, it's about using your marriage to bring others alongside you towards eternity with your spouse based upon these two things that we've talked about. You got to get this lock in. We're doing this thing, this marriage thing, as a picture to bring others to heaven based upon this. Number one, Paul's exhortation on being spirit-filled, and then he directly talks about marriage, right? So he talks about being spirit-filled in Ephesians 5, verse 21, uh, verse 18, and then he directly gives examples of that in marriage and family. And then number two, 
Jesus' proclamation of why he gave the power of the Holy Spirit in the first place. God gave the Holy, uh, Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us so that he would witness to us about sin and judgment, right, and righteousness. Then we received power to take that message and to be an ambassador to the world. And then he, he asked and called us to be in spirit-filled marriages and to be spirit-filled parents to do that, to do that work. Okay, so this sermon is about maturing in Christ to the point where your life and your marriage and your children and your family and your money and your time is aimed at the kingdom and not at yourself. This whole journey with Jesus is not just a command to do the hard things, do hard stuff, do hard stuff, do hard stuff, sacrifice, die, 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 die. No, but it's an opportunity to do the Christ-centered thing. And it's filled with love and joy and truth and justice and a whole lot of happiness. He promises you, if you believe, he's going to give you joy on this journey. So I'm going to pray one more time. Yes, I am right now for the Holy Spirit to remind you and me that everything we're going to be doing and everything we're being called to do is not a burden, but it's a joy. It's not a burden. It's our benefit. It's not for our bad. It's for our good. There's actually joy and peace when we do it, when we do it God's way. Because moving from our story to God's story, folks, is not just about Jesus dying on the cross so that you wouldn't go to hell and that you would get in barely to the gates of heaven. If that were true, we all would have already died as soon as Jesus rose from the, rose from the grave. We would have just died on the spot and went to heaven. But the story didn't go that way, did it? No, instead the story continues forward in 2021 after Jesus did the work and ascended to the Father because Jesus left us here on the earth with great power for our families and marriages and our life attached to great purpose with the Holy Spirit. And this great purpose for your marriage and family and life is massively under attack by Satan, by sin, and you ready for this, and by secular modern Christianity. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But rather we are married or single or widowed. It's about the works of Christ continuing forward, no matter what. It's about using our budgeted days and our budgeted dollars in light of eternity. It's about using this sermon to push us forward towards eternity. So if there was ever a sermon where I was going to have another prayer right in the middle to keep us tracking, it's this one. So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit for some more help in this sermon. Here we go. Holy Spirit, we need your perspectives. Oh God, we're having a gigantic conversation this morning. Because this life that you have called us to is one filled with an immeasurable amount of joy that Christ has set before us, Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would confirm and affirm that the words I've said are true in your word. But that requires us to be spirit-filled, focused on Jesus practically everywhere in all of our relationships and circumstances. That requires special attention to how we hear our pastor when he preaches and exhorts the things of God. So our prayer this morning is simple. Help us to see every single exhortation in your word, not only as good, uh, excuse me, not only as good and not bad, not only as beneficial and not detrimental, but as joyful and pleasurable when God is in the picture. It's because of your 
beautiful name that we continue forward. Amen. Man, it's so very important, family of God, that we submit to the Lord. It's so very important. Did you know that after Jesus stood up, after washing the disciples' feet, did you know this? That, do you know that he asked his disciples to do the same thing and to wash other people's feet and they refused? Man, isn't that like us telling our Heavenly Father, no, no, no? Man, we do that. But nevertheless, Jesus washed the feet of a group of men, here, track with me, and that he knew would betray him, neglect him, and, and were going to ultimately run away from him. And one of them was going to serve on the committee that was going to have him murdered. Can you see? Jesus came to establish heaven on earth, demonstrating what it means to sacrifice. Lean in. Jesus came to demonstrate what it means to sacrifice for others' good and for the glory of his Father. And did you know that the disciples had a real need for their feet to be washed? Like, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. During this historical period of time, it was a deep social and cultural need to have your feet washed. They needed this to be done deeply. Okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here. Did you know that we have deep needs within us, within us that need to be filled? Do you know that? So husbands, hey, what if your marital submission goes completely beyond obeying the commands of God because you have to? What if marriage submission is, a, is your opportunity to submit to the commands of God because your wife has something inside of her that needs filling and you've been equipped to fill it. Okay, wives, what if marital submission for you goes beyond obeying the commands of God because you have to, but what if your marital submission is to be done onto the Lord because your husband has something that he needs filled and you have been equipped to fill it? People of God, church, ecclesia, called out ones, what if submitting to the commands of God is not just about submitting to one another because we have to? Instead, what if this provides an opportunity for us to assist in healing the whole world of people who are filled with massive holes, searching for something or someone to fill it? And in Christ, you and me our call to be that conduit and the answer pointer. Oh man, because John said this, I mean, I mean, excuse me, because Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, by what? By this love, as you become a filler of these needs, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And did you know right around this time in the Gospel of John when this part of the story is taking place, Peter, he had a sword and he took it out from under his arm and he said to Jesus, oh, I'm going to show you love, all right, Jesus. And he pulls out his sword and he tries to cut this, the soldier, uh, this Roman soldier named Malcolmus's head off. And he swings and he misses and instead he cuts, Mal he cuts Malcolmus's ear off off. Did you know that? And Jesus is like, bro, what are you doing? Did you forget that I just talked to you not that long ago about washing feet? 
Did you forget the class? I just washed your feet. You should be washing Malcolmus's feet, not wielding a sword. And Peter's like, no way. Can we relate to Peter? He's like, no way. I can't do that. This dude's a Roman, and he doesn't deserve for me to wash his feet. Did you see how he's treating you, Jesus? Did you see what he's intending to do to you? And Jesus is like this. He's saying, Peter, I know, I know. And he's talking to us too. I know, I know, Brandon, but you still should serve him. You still got to serve him. And when you activate your free will to do so, I'm going to give you power to do that which you think you can't do right now. And I'm going to give you power to do that which I know you don't want to do. Peter, I know that it feels so impossible. And God's saying to Peter, and when you do this, Peter, when you put the sword down and you pick up the servant card, when you do this, the world around you is going to flip out. They're going to say, no way. You washed a Roman's feet. You ministered to someone that didn't deserve it. You stayed in your marriage when, the, when it was super difficult. You ministered to your kids when they were super rebellious. You gave to that friendship that, that, that never gave back. You stayed in that friendship besides the pain. You forgave your husband when he didn't deserve it. You loved your wife when she was unlovable. You chose a servant's apron instead of a soldier's sword. Jesus says, Peter, the world's going to look at that when you pick up the servant's apron instead of the soldier's sword, and they're going to go, no way. And you're going to make me and the Father look legit. Lean in. When this happens, folks, the world has to step back. When you minister to someone who doesn't deserve it, when you stay in the marriage that's difficult, when you love the kid that's rebellious, when you love the wife that's unlovable, when you honor the husband who doesn't deserve it, the world has to step back and they have to deal with Jesus and they have to deal with us as his representatives and say, this is real. But that won't happen because of shooting stars and horoscopes and magic and water walking. No. Instead, it happens from churches that are filled with spirit-filled marriages and spirit-filled singles leading spirit-filled families and ministries in glad harmony, sacrificially operating with a different set of rules and standards than the world. But let me be very clear. When we do the spirit-filled practical work of serving one another and putting the kingdom first, everybody gets what they need. I'm going to say that again. When we do the spirit-filled practical work of serving one another and putting the kingdom first, everyone, folks, gets taken care of. Wives are going to get what they need. Husbands are going to get what they need. Children are going to get what they need. Churches are going to get what they need. Singles are going to get what they need. Widows are going to get what they need. Communities are going to get what they need. Countries are going to get what they need. And we all can stop fighting and pushing and pulling and demanding our own way. That is God's design. Praise Christ. So this all starts at home between husbands and wives and their children. And for the singles and widows, it starts at home within the relationships that God has given you that are intimate and close. Because we can't, if we can't do it at home, folks, we most definitely are not going to be able to do it for the world. We got to be able to do it 
in our own homes. So when God calls the wife to submit to her husband, is it because he's so worthy of that submission all the time? <laughs> no way. But she's called to do it anyway, so that she can be a demonstration to the world of how a wife should submit. And in, the, and in that unity and harmony, it sets the family unit up to do great work for the kingdom without dysfunction and chaos inside her husband's heart that would ultimately distract him from leading that call because he would be dealing with a bitter and a salty wife as a partner. And when God, God calls the husband to love his wife with totality and unconditionally, is it because she's always worthy of that type of love and affection? No way. No. But he's called to do it anyway because he's a demonstration to the whole world of how a husband's supposed to love his wife. And in that unity and harmony, it sets the family unit up to do great work for the kingdom without dysfunction and chaos inside his wife's heart that would ultimately distract her from supporting her husband towards that call because he would be acting childish and immature and unwilling to provide that rhema that she needs. And do you know why all of this is important? All of it. Because we are living, folks, in a world that is transactional. So we got to live above that standard. We got to not be, uh, we cannot be of the world in that way. We cannot live transactionally. The world says, if you give to me, I'll give to you, maybe. But if you stop giving to me, I most definitely am going to stop giving to you. It's called the law of reciprocal, um, sorry, it's called the law of reciprocal affection, folks. And that law, that law is terrible. But we, as Christ followers, are to live and operate under the law of submission to all people. Everyone, folks, we're trying to submit to in right biblical ways. Jesus committed himself to a bunch of knuckleheads and thugs and gang members and adulterers out of love. And he submitted himself to their needs. He saw their need and he got active and he filled those needs with compassion. He moved, he moved, he went and he got active. Was it his wife and kids? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. But he still submitted and ultimately died for their needs like they were his family. You want to know why? Because they are. And I don't think the people have got to get that. This is your family that we're talking about. And because of that, he was able to walk them towards godly repentance and eventually towards becoming very godly, very godly men. And eventually it became pastors and apostles and leaders of the church, folks. Like, let's just be honest. How many churches out here today in 2021 are going to bring in an adulterer and people who have attempted to murder people and let them be pastors over the church? And let's make this more personal. Lean in. Here's a more intimate question. How many of you would be led by a pastor if you found out that he had a past of being an adulterer or he had a past of being an attempted murderer? How many of you would be like, yeah, I'm going to let this guy be my pastor? 
But Christ, he made that decision. He stayed in the game with this group of misfits and he made them into pearls. I'm going to say it again. He stayed in the game with these misfits, these people that were filled with darkness, these people that attempted murder, who, who lied and were envious and they had strife and he made them. He made them into pearls. So we have to stick in the game with our marriages when our wives are being knuckleheads. Or our husbands are being knuckleheads. We have to stick in the game when our children are unlovable. We have to also stick in the game beyond our families for the world around us. That's what it means to live in light of eternity. Hey, hey, look at me. And we are to do that because Jesus Christ did it first. And we're following him. And we're being imitators of him in all things. And if he didn't do that, did you know that we would not have had the 12 disciples as we know them? And, but, but, but Jesus focused on who they were becoming and not who they were. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was radically focused on who these men were going to become, not who they were in process. And man, the people of God need to learn. We have got to learn how to focus on, how, on who people can become, folks. Not just who they used to be in their past. Not just who they are now. Man, I meet with so many broken people in the darkest of places, and I invite them to the light. You have no idea the people who come to me with the most darkest stories that you could never imagine. You, this stuff is like movie, movie level. Like, is this true? Did this person really do all this in this short of time? And they come to me, and, and I help them get into the light, and they walk through this process of redemption. Like, don't you want to get in on that, RCC? Life is so much richer that way, so much richer. So stop judging people for where they start. Stop judging people for where they came from. Stop judging people for where they're presently at and start speaking rhema over their life based upon what the word of God says about them and point them towards Christ. And this starts in our homes for the married couple and in your close relationships for the single and the widow. This is what verse 33 in chapter 5 is really proclaiming when Paul says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's saying, offer the love. Offer it even when the person doesn't deserve it. And then get over yourself as a married couple, as a married unit, and focus on the harvest that is burning around you. Man, why? Because we are the laborers that are few and the harvest is burning up and we have work to do. Folks, you can buy the best marriage book in the world and I promise you there's going to be another marriage book right on the shelf at Barnes & Noble's in less than a week. I'm trying to free you up the best that I can without having a 10-week sermon series on, on marriage. I just want you to know that you don't have to read 37 books on marriage. You don't have to spend $3,000 on the most legit marriage counselor. Verse 33 represents one command that solves all the relational problems if you're spirit-filled and you submit. It offers the other person exactly what they need, even if they're a knucklehead and they don't deserve it. Man, 
So with that being said, here are three truths that I want us to wrestle with really well as we start to land this plane over the next uh, 10 minutes or so. And then right after that, I'm going to follow up with three wise warnings that we all need to consider regarding marriage and singlehood and being a widow. Okay, so here it is. Here's three truths for you to wrestle with well with regarding marriage, singlehood, and being a widow. Number one. With the Holy Spirit, the husband can 100% love his wife unconditionally, even when the wife does not do her part, because Christ did for him when he didn't do his part. That's just the truth, fellas. We can do this. Okay, with the Holy Spirit, number two. The wife can 100% love her husband and submit her whole life to him even when the husband does not do his part because Christ did it for her when she did not do her part. This is, this is, this is, this is possible, sisters, with the Holy Spirit. Okay, one more. With the Holy Spirit, the single and the widow can live a completely joy-filled life submitting to others in Christ despite the world's pressure that everyone needs to be married because in Christ we find our fulfillment, not in our spouses. Okay, now let's keep tracking immediately to these very important warnings. Number one, warning number one, if a wife does not receive, if she doesn't receive the love, she needs from her husband, she will find someone else or something else to fulfill that need. Okay, husbands, oh, this is, this is so, so important. Perhaps this will set you free. What if your wife needs your love, whether she deserves it or not? What if she just needs it? What if it's not about deserving it? What if she needs it? And I'm going to warn you right now, if you don't provide that love to her, she's going to most definitely find that love somewhere else, 100%. And it might not be with another man. It might be with a hobby. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Brandon, there's nothing wrong with a hobby. I'm fine with that. And you're right. Hobbies are fine unless your wife is doing it in replacement for your love. My brother, wake up. Books and people and other things often are used by, uh, by women who are lacking love and they kind of burrow into a little cave trying to find that love in their hobbies. And it doesn't always have to be a sexual affair. It, it can happen that way, but it can be an emotional affair with another person at work. It can, be, it can be one of their girlfriends, but they're emotionally connecting and they're having an affair because they're not getting it from you. She can emotionally cheat on you. Are you tracking with me? Because she's having a deficit of feeling known and valued and appreciated. And folks, have you ever seen a woman who knows that she's loved compared to a woman who feels that she's not? Man, it's so obvious, right? So the question is to the husband, hey, husband, are you willing to fill that gap? Or are you going to allow your wife to fill it in another way? Okay, here's warning, warning number two. If the husband does not receive the respect and reverence he needs from his wife, he will find someone else or something else to fulfill that, that need. Okay, ladies, listen to me. Track with me. He'll find it through a success at work, 
from his work buddies. He'll start leading or mentoring other people. Uh, he'll, he'll get it in secret rendezvous or avenues. All these things, he's going to try to find it somewhere. He's going to build a man cave in the garage and he's never going to come out. He's going to stay at work longer than he needs to, claiming he's trying to save up for retirement. He's going to do it by working on his car all the time or doing some kind of a building project. He's going to do it through pornography. He's going to find something or some way to get what he needs. So, so sister in Christ, to the wife, the question is, are you willing to fill the gap? Or are you going to let your husband fill it in his own way? Okay, final warning. Number, number three, this is to the widow and the single. If a single or a widow does not find and intentionally activate an eternity focused aim to commit their lives to alongside intimate relationships in the local church, he or she will find someone else or something else to fulfill that need. And man, I want to say so much here to be a help to the single and the widows. But for now, just remember this. Each and every one of us are created and designed radically for relationships deep ones at that. So establishing genuine brothers and sisters in your life is not only wise, but it's completely necessary and it's biblical. But it's not just about finding people that have the same interests as you. It's about finding people that are headed to the same destination as you. I'm going to say that again. Singles and widows. It's not just about having deep relationships that are based upon people that have the same interests with you in life. It's about finding relationships that are deep, that have the same destination as you, as their aim. And that destination must be a life that is aimed so radically towards eternity filled with Christ-centered purposes. Okay, so I want to I end with this. We really do have to submit to God's commands, folks, and submit to the roles and the rules and the responsibilities that he's given us distinctly as the people of God, distinctly as a husband, distinctly as a, as a wife, because there's so much, there's so much at stake. This institution of marriage is so much bigger than your perfect plan that you always dreamed of back when you were in college about what spouse you would have and what family size you would have and what your future would look like. This institution of marriage is so much bigger than what you always imagined your forever home would look like and how you would raise your kids in that home. This institution of marriage and family is so much bigger than all your arguments that you keep having back and forth and back and forth, basically about your preferences and your opinions. This institution of marriage is so much bigger than the offenses that you're still holding over your spouse for what they did to you back on that day over there. This institution of marriage is so much, it's so much bigger. Folks, marriage is God's picture of Christ in relationship to the church. Marriage is the vehicle of glad unity between a man and a woman whose sum total of their lives to God with the Holy Spirit's power is to be collaborative witnesses to the world. Marriage is the vehicle by which children are raised up in the faith to become glad, radical, risk-taking disciples themselves, maturing in Christ to reach the least, the last, and the lost. Marriage is the primary vehicle by which people can genuinely experience God 
through our Christ-infused hand in their life. And when we do it right, we heal the world in Christ. Marriage and family and life lived in light of eternity is a beautiful life to be lived. And marriage specifically is a gift that is given to some to enjoy with amazing pleasure aimed away at self-centered goals towards the good of others and the glory of God. And that's my hope, and that is my prayer. More Christ-centered marriages that don't terminate on themselves. More Christ-centered singles who are confident and ring their life out for Jesus. Here we go. Hey, More Christ-centered widows who overcome the tragedy of the loss and they become strong and mighty pillars in their church and in their communities. There is so much joy that is set before us as the people of God if we believe Holy Spirit help our unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, Lord, that with all of my effort, I have fallen short of fully depicting the reality of the weightiness of what you are demonstrating in Scripture about spirit-filled marriages, families, and our part in it. But I pray that the Holy Spirit was activated in me in such a manner that touched the heart and the soul and the minds of everyone listening today. I pray that the deeper this sermon went on, we didn't think about how much longer the sermon was, but how much of an opportunity we have to do something legit when this sermon ends. I pray for Holy Spirit, Christ-infused conversations to reign and rule over families after this sermon, that husbands and wives would talk and create new standards, that, that, that parents and, and children would start to think about new standards, that singles would get excited about marriage, and that other singles would get excited about a life lived radically just for your kingdom, that widows would be confident to take a risk to think about marriage again, that, and that other widows would be confident that they are to spend the rest of their life fully focused on you and that they would be radically secure in that. But I pray above all things that we would get over our self-seeking pleasure narratives as the people of God because you've called us to be a ministry and not a mystery. May our marriages and our actions and our lives and our play and our money look different than the world. May it look like we're aiming it towards eternity. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. With all my heart, RCC, let's move forward. Grace and peace. Hi, my name is Jillian. I am Pastor Brandon's wife. Uh, it's so great to see you all virtually today. Um, I hope you have been challenged and encouraged by the last two weeks uh, based on the sermons on marriage and family and life and light of eternity. And so on behalf of Pastor Brandon, I want you to know uh, that there will be a special uh, Pastor's Cornered podcast, one of my favorites, on spirit-filled marriages, uh, where Pastor Brandon's going to talk about two really important things. Number one thing, the sixth truth um, about our role as wives and our biblical 
encouragement to, to empower us. And then the sixth truth um, about the role of a husband and some biblical encouragement and to help better equip you guys. And so you don't want to miss out. Can't wait to watch it. Bye, everyone.